0: So if you've been with us this year uh, so far, we have been in a series called Swipe Right. It's about love, sex, and relationships. And now I have the pleasure of closing out that series today. And I'm actually super grateful that I was not doing the sermons before because they were all about, is married life better than single life? Uh, Is sex good? And if you Heard me speak ever, uh, especially in December. You know that I am not someone you want to receive relationship advice from. So I hold fast to the truth that I can only preach what I know, right? So I don't ever want to come up here and give y'all crap because if it comes from an empty place, then it's it's not going to sink into you either. So instead, I am going to talk about something I know all too well. And I feel like even if you are in a great relationship, want to be in a great relationship, have never been in a great relationship, you know this feeling too. You know exactly what I'm about to talk about. And this sermon may bring up things that are uncomfortable for you or bring up memories that you try to push somewhere else. And so I really encourage you not to push those down. Um, I encourage you to go to the back. Matt and Becky will be there. We're going to have prayer available throughout the entirety of service tonight. Uh, If something comes up and you want to walk out, walk out with one of them, okay? Um, Even if you just want them to hang out with you outside and not pray for you. Don't do it alone. Um, And so I'm going to get started. But before I do that, I feel like I might be a little bit loud. Am I a little loud? Y'all are okay. I yelled during this too. Is that okay? Okay, That's great. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah. Let me take my own advice. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this space. I thank you for every person who walked in here. I thank you for their story. I pray, Father, as we go into tonight, I pray that hearts are open and ready to absorb. I pray that, that no one pushes down a feeling or a memory or something that comes up, Lord. Let us face it. I thank you for the purpose that you have for each of these people, Lord. And I, they didn't come to hear me. <laughs> they came to hear you. And I know that you have a very, very strong message for them tonight, Lord. So please speak through me. I need you. In your name I pray, amen. Who told you you were naked? Who told you that? See, we're not even four chapters into this masterpiece of Scripture, and something is already very, very broken. Look at how big this book is. We're only here, and we're already screwed. Right? Who told you you were naked? That line uh, has always been so striking for me, because I think it... It epitomizes how so much of my worldview was crafted. Who told you you were naked? You see, the first two chapters of Genesis are actually quite sweet if you've read them. Uh, it talks about how God created the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea, and you and me. Right? Didn't mean it for that to rhyme. Um, and, and it's going pretty well, right? The garden is thriving, His two loves at that moment, Eve and Adam, are loving life, right? Gardening, doing great things. And then we get to chapter 3, and all of a sudden, not so good anymore. Uh, This will probably be the first time in your entire church life that you will not be asked, actually, I will not allow you to open your Bible um, or your app. I'm going to read chapter th- uh, the first part of chapter 3 for us, and I want you to just absorb it. Uh, visualize this scene with me. And, and just so you know, if the Bible, again, is new to you, God didn't need to create us, right? He didn't need us for anything. He created us to be able to share all of this with. And then he noticed that one was not good, that people should be in relationship with one another, regardless of whatever that relationship is, right? Relationship with one another. So think about that as I read the beginning of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Serpent says, you will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from him among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Then Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. God said, Who told you you were naked? Who said that? Now, I'm not going to read the rest of chapter 3, but just to spoil it for all of you, it doesn't go well for them after this, (laughs) okay? Straight downhill, straight out of the gates of the garden, and they walk, as they leave the garden, they walk into a world that they share with pain that is the world that we inherited, the world that we all walked in from tonight through those doors outside, And this is where we begin to spiral, right here. And yes, the story that you've heard of this is where sin enters and separates us from God, sure, yeah, okay. But we know, because we know the entire arc of Scripture— We know that sin is no match for God's love for us. We know that God did whatever he could to wipe away that separation, even putting his son on a cross to bear every single transgression that we've ever had. We know that, right? As Christians, that makes us Christian. But then, if that's true, if we really know that in the pit of our stomachs, why then, on the same night... That Jesus hung on that cross for us, his closest confidant, Peter, sweet Peter. Why then did he do anything he could at the sound of a rooster crowing to run and hide? He hid behind walls wherever he could just not to make sure not to be found. He didn't want to even run into anybody. Why? Why would he do that? He knew what happened. He walked with the Savior of the world. And yet he hid. You know why? Because something else incredibly powerful happened in the garden that day. And it's not far from where we just read. Let's go back. We only have to go back To the end of chapter 2. In fact, the last line of chapter 2 will tell us what we missed. The last line, before things got messy, (laughs) said, Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. Do you know how important that line is? Not only did they not know shame, they were created to not know shame. We were created to not know shame. It is not supposed to be a part of our makeup. Any word could have been used there. And it was they were created to not know shame. So the accuser who comes to tempt Eve, so smart. We all know he's smart. He knew that God would do anything to save his people and we see that through the sacrifice of Jesus. We see that it was never about getting us to sin. The accuser's mission was not about getting Eve and Adam to sin. It was convincing them that they are sin. And for that, he was quite successful. Now, I know that Generally, when people talk about what separates humans from God, they talk about sin. And yes, sin was our divider at first. I'm not going to argue that. But it's not about sin. It's not. Sin certainly interrupts our communion with God. But even as Adam and Eve are excommunicated from the garden, God provides for them. Even as the world leads towards sin, God never stops calling us back. This cross stands here as a daily reminder that what separated us from God is not our sins because our ransom from sin was forever paid by Christ's blood. It's not our sin that separates us from God, it's our shame. It's never been about the apple grab. Sorry to ruin all of your kindergarten or kids' church lessons. It's never been about the act. It's always about the shame that accompanies the act because we were inherently known not to know this. And so when it enters, it behaves like the poison from which it comes to seek and destroy us. Because if the mission was just about the sin, then they would have come to God and they would have said, oh man, so sorry. Remember that tree? I ate from it, feel really bad. What can I do to make this up to you? They didn't do that. They ate, and then they hid, because they felt ashamed. And you know, chapter 3 does not tell us how they were hiding, right? We just know that they were in the trees. Not a single one of us, I would bet, has ever pictured them hiding like this. Sup? No. We all go into our mind of cowering, or this, right? Whatever we can to make ourselves smaller. Scripture didn't need to tell us that because we already know that posture towards God. We do it all the time. Now, I think this is probably a good time to talk about the difference between shame and guilt. Guilt is when we recognize that we did something wrong and need forgiveness, right and shame is when we think we are something wrong and cannot be forgiven so today i'm not here to talk to you about the need to seek forgiveness from others and from god because we're not talking about guilt because reconciling a situation wherein we hurt somebody or we turn from god is how we deepen our relationships i bet you many of you can think about a time well when we had that big fight and we finally talked about our issues that's when our relationship grew stronger right That conviction can bring us into stronger relationships with each other and with God. That's not what we're talking about. Guilt is recognizing you're not perfect, and it's rooted in a failure to do something right. And shame is rooted in the failure of someone. That's the difference. Shame is inherently relational, which is why it seeks to destroy every relationship we have. And I grew up Assemblies of God, super charismatic. Uh, I don't let those signs show of me often anymore, but this is probably the most charismatic thing you'll hear me say. Shame is demonic. I know that in the pit of my, in the pit of my stomach. It's demonic, and it's poison. Because instead of helping us reconcile our brokenness with each other, it drives us away to an island by ourselves where it can continue to consume us until we are too tired to fight it anymore. And from my experience, there's two types of shame. There's the shame that we feel when we sin, and then we believe this lie because we haven't reconciled it, right? We believe this lie that we have now become that sin, because we sat on it too long, because we didn't go to the person, or maybe the person was ourselves, right? Just let it sit, and now all of a sudden we, we are that problem. And then there's the shame that gets absorbed in us from the brokenness of others. Others put their shame on us, and we take it. And we add it to ours. And, you know, even though they come from different places, they somehow join forces to become this unending spiral that spends its nights in the pits of your stomach and its days at the forefront of your mind. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Three of you know what I'm talking about? You're lying. (laughs) Okay, so for those of you who've never experienced a shame spiral, let me (laughs) provide one for you. Uh, I was 12 years old. And I thought, the first time I heard it, I thought, there's no way he's talking to me. I don't even know this person. I mean, I've seen him in the hall, but I I don't know, he's an upperclassman, he's not talking to me, we don't know each other. But then, when it happened a second, third, and fourth time, and then when it happened when we were the only ones in the hallway, I could no longer deny it. It was for me. You see, my... Grammar school had it was an awfully planned building, but we, it had this corridor that would connect the classrooms to the music room and the cafeteria. And it just so happened that I had to walk down towards the music room at the same time that this upperclassman, an eighth grader, I was in sixth grade, uh, was was walking this way. And I'll never understand why, but we were always the only two in the hallway, like. Where were all the kids? Uh, and as he would walk past me, he, the lockers were over here. So visual for me. He walked past me, and as soon as he was about to go past, he would look at me and yell, huge. And I never told anyone. This happened for the longest time. I didn't even acknowledge his gaze, because I thought if I did that, then I'd, I'd be sure, sure that he's talking to me. I couldn't deny that anymore. And I thought if I told anyone, then I'd have to admit that I was huge, and for some reason that meant that I was bad and unworthy. I don't even know where that came from, but I knew what it meant. And before all of this, I objectively knew at the time that I was much larger than the girls in my class, but I never connected that with my worth, (laughs) not until I was told to. And then everything became about that. I was, it was famous for, in grammar school, we always, you know, you have stupid hangouts with kids in your house in the basement or something. I would leave I would leave and go and walk around the block because I thought that if I wasn't there, then nobody could make comments about my body. It was my pre preteen form of self-preservation. Uh, it didn't work, uh, not at all, it just got worse. And I, I've always thought, you know, maybe, Maybe if I had said something to someone, a friend, my parents, a trusted teacher, maybe they could have stopped the narrative that day, right? They could have looked at me and said, oh, no, no, baby girl, you, you are good. Your body is good. God made you good. And when he looks at you, he looks at you in awe of your body. And that little boy, he's pushing pain that he is receiving onto you because he doesn't know what to do with it. That didn't happen. So we fast forward to dating, not in sixth grade, um, (laughs) high school. And and I couldn't wrap my head around the idea that guys wanted to date me. Because I, I wasn't worthy. I wasn't worthy of that. My body wasn't worthy of that. Because it went from my body's not worthy to I'm not worthy. You see that? We're spiraling. And so I would give them what I thought they wanted. And then I'd cut and run. Because I figured really soon they're going to figure out that they don't want to be with me. They don't want to be with a girl who looks like me. And so I'd hurt before I could be hurt. But then in the end, I was the only one who was hurt because I was mad at myself for what I just did to my body over and over and over again. I had to learn to love my body at the age of 25. It's a long time to go hating yourself and some people do it for many more years. Right? You see the insanity of that spiral. Because the thing is, I wasn't just impacting my relationships with with men, right? My shame. My shame was impacting my relationships with everybody. Shame doesn't just want a piece of you, it wants all of you. And the more you give it, the more it will take. There's no way to just be like, no, no, that's enough, you've had enough, right? You keep giving in, you keep believing, whatever that is, it takes more. And then you're off, again. On this strange island, by yourself, walking around a block, hiding in the trees. I think my cycle, the, the thing that I did for so long to myself, is not, you know, so... Dissimilar from what many of you experience, what many people experience, right? Because it starts in one instant and then this world is so broken that we can't stop it and we feel like we can no longer see where the spiral began. And so it's hard to break in and speak truth when you're so deep. At a young age, we're introduced to this concept that we should be ashamed of who we are or what we bring to the table simply because it's through the lens of another person who has been shamed or feels broken. And that's where it begins. And maybe your shame spiral did not start with your body image. Maybe it started with your body being abused. Maybe it started with being told that who you are is not welcome through those doors. Maybe even worse, it started when you were told that you as a person are not welcome anywhere. Your existence is not welcome. And that sounds crazy to say out loud, right? But I guarantee there's someone in this room who has heard those things. And this is just a small population within a small city. Like, everyone experiences shame. And every single shame situation that goes unchecked will impact our current and future relationships because it's designed to separate us from each other. The accuser is smart. It's designed that way. Couldn't stop at us just sinning and turning from God. It had to be something that made us bad and unfixable. We're not created to know shame, so when we do, its poison seeps in. It prohibits us from being in relationship with ourselves and our God. And also makes us do ridiculous things like walk around a block or hide in the trees. Ever consider how ridiculous it is that Adam and Eve tried to hide in the garden that God created? Like, you can't see us, just here. Like, what was that conversation like with the fig leaves? Come on. Hiding in God's garden, and yet we do it all the time. We think we're alone on that island, but there is no place that God cannot be, right? So we've all got these stories. We've all got these shame spirals going through our head and and I don't I don't I'm not gonna ask anybody what their shame spiral is, right? But I bet you not only can you remember it, you can feel it. I can smell the cafeteria as I talk about that story. So how do we fix this? How do we fix shame? We don't. At least three of you are disappointed I didn't say Jesus. (laughs) We don't. We don't fix it this side of Eden. This is a broken place. The devil knew what he was doing. I can't emphasize that enough. This place is broken. Shame remains with us until we get to the other side. So I don't think that we can get rid of it. I mean, look at all of scripture from the beginning to the end we see shame. Peter watched his savior die on a cross and then went and then hid because he denied him and said he would never deny him. I'd never be I'd never ever say I don't know you. Jesus? Never met the guy. It's everywhere. It permeates the pages of Scripture. It permeates our lives. And so I think telling someone that they can completely get rid of shame is dangerous and could set them up for even more failure when they don't get rid of it. Then there's more shame. You just added shame to their shame pile. We can't get rid of it, but I think we can control it. I think we can learn to control it because control is central to shame. Either we control it or it controls us. It's the only way this game is played. Poison needs permission, everyone. So, I want to leave you tonight with some tangible things to take back the power in your relationship with shame, whatever it is, and wherever the spiral began, even if you don't know it, right? It's just all a bunch of things now floating in your head. And these things are taken from my life experience, From this sweet book and also from the gospel of Brene Brown. First thing. Share your story. Right? Be the brave man or woman that your little self needed. I needed this sermon so long ago. Right? Secrets allow shame to control you. Talk to a professional. Therapists have jobs for a reason. Talk to them. Talk to people you trust. Because when we identify our shame, when we call it out by name, first it hates that, and second it's easier for us to understand our triggers. Next, be kind to yourself. You're not going to conquer shame. Don't stop. Stop doing that. You're going to put shame in its box where it belongs for the rest of your life. And you're going to do that on a daily basis. But don't think that there is this one prayer you're going to pray, this one way you're going to live, that shame is not going to be present. It's a losing battle. Don't do it to yourself. Be kind. And talk to yourself like you love yourself. I guarantee that if you are not saying kind words to yourself, you're not saying kind words to other people either. And you may not think that, but it'll creep, because my shame then becomes your shame, and then we are both shamed. Don't do that to yourself. Talk to yourself like you actually love yourself. Next, figure out the source. (laughs) Go to God and say, hey, I heard this. Is this true? Is this true about me? Because then God gets to ask you, who told you you were naked? Who told you your body wasn't good? Who told you you weren't welcome in my house? Who told you you weren't loved? That wasn't me, kiddo. It wasn't me. You know, talking about shame is difficult. I don't think I've ever labored over a sermon like this one because we all feel it and we don't talk about it. And I was so nervous to give this and wondering if, if what I was sharing was actually going to be what, was, what I was supposed to share. And then I was in my Uber on my way to morning service, and my driver, he just came from church, early service, like seven. And I said, oh, what did you all talk about? And he goes, well, the pastor talked about... He was talking about a situation in Leviticus and talking about leprosy. And I said, interesting. And he goes, yeah. And then he connected it to our daily life and said, you know, we all think that leprosy is gone. It's just in a different form. We may not see people walking around very often with lesions on their skin, but we see it come from their personality because there's lesions in their stomach and their heart. Leprosy comes from the inside now because people don't deal with their shame the things that they've done, it just has taken a different form. And then I was like, all right, God, hear you, got it, all right, going to church. (laughs) Uh, It's hard, and I shared both of these stories tonight uh, because they have different endings. Adam and Eve, they they walk out of the garden, and that spiral doesn't stop, and by chapter 5, again, this book is huge, by chapter 5 in Genesis, bye-bye, and we see that Adam lives to be something like 980 years old. Doesn't say when Eve dies because nobody cares. Um, doesn't. And, but and we know they have this wild family, right? where, you know, one of their sons kills another, and they are a part of our heritage and our history and our people. But I feel like we don't know a ton about their life because it, there wasn't much to tell. I feel like they walked into pain and they wanted to stay in that pain because they didn't know their way out. And there was so much hope for that situation, so much redemption for that situation. But then we see Peter. And Peter, man, the shame he must have had. Hmm. Denying your best friend. <laughs> That's a big sin, right? But Peter is a great example of stopping the shame spiral. He's a perfect example of that in Scripture because although he did something and he felt it, he felt the shame. He hid behind walls. He felt such shame. Jesus comes back and he's reconciled to him. He realizes the mistakes that he made and he is now ready to take on the responsibility to build the church. And because Peter stepped out of his shame spiral, and I don't think he, you know, I think by the time that he was killed on a cross himself, he still had to fight the demons of shame. I don't think that ever leaves us. But he learned how to control it and became the reason that this church exists, right? But if that shame spiral continued, I don't know. I really don't. Some of you are here tonight, and you have been shame spiraling for as long as you can remember. I know it. Tonight's the night to change the narrative. You know, you have lived on what you assume to be your own island for quite some time, and away from others and separated from people, separated from God but today, let today be the day you start sharing your story, being kind to yourself and allowing God to say, that wasn't me, my love, that wasn't me. You're still breathing. Do it. We're going to come to this table in just a minute or so and we're going to be reminded of what Jesus did. We're going to be reminded Once again, because we can't get it through our heads that when He died on the cross, He died for all of us. We come back to this table every week because our heads are so thick and our hearts are so walled that we cannot accept it. Come here knowing not only that He has endless grace for you, but that He loves you endlessly and that what He did on the cross was permanent. Don't let another day go by. Twenty-five years old and had to learn that my body was not bad. Some of you have not learned that yet. Not okay. Not okay for you. There'll still be prayer available. Please, please utilize it. Please talk to someone. Please share your story. It wasn't me. That wasn't me. Hmm. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time in your presence. We thank you for the ways that you engulf our entire selves with endless love and endless adoration for your creation. Father, I pray that tonight we just feel a piece of that a piece of your love that we can put on ourselves and understand that we were made in your image and we were made good. Father, I pray that nobody leaves here tonight unchanged. Nobody leaves here with a a closed heart. Permeate every piece of us, Lord. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.